You'll check it out. A whole new generation of young people today who belong nowhere. But I prefer to be an outcast. Third culture kids where the concept of the dukan is the, the corner shop or the top We are live outside. Hey, yo, what's up, people? What up, nation? It's a revolution of expression. You tuned into the Dukan show. Stay tuned in. Arab digital generation is shaping our identity, their creative expression, and their future. So please give a very warm welcome. The Welcome to your tribe. It's been a year with unbelievable highs and unbelievable lows, like a very bipolar kind of year. I think 2016 really tested us. Yeah. As a year. I mean, everything that came with it, including starting this podcast. Yeah. And, you know, the different challenges we face, like from my surgery to for us leaving town to now Jib. Jib, you know, for a bit, yeah. So 2016 has been like this, man. 2016 has been extreme, right? For me, it was like, you know, like my heroes died this year. Like Muhammad Ali died this year. Yeah. I wonder if it's going to slow down from here on. But I think 2017 is going to be even wilder. Knuckle up, gentlemen. Knuckle up. You know, this is our first episode of 2017. This one? This one. This one is our first episode. Is it going to be? This is, yeah. yeah. Oh, sh. First episode of 2017. Here we are today, my Full friends. circle, son. You believe there's a balance in the ups and downs of it? I think that there always is. And I think that if you, fo- whatever you focus on will grow. So if you go, 2016 was a f- horrible year. It was so terrible. What do you think is going to happen? It's just going to be a horrible year. It was fair play for me. In my personal life, I think it was fair play. Yeah, because there's the kidney thing. Yeah. And then and that's done. You got a new kidney this year. I got year. a new kidney. Like, you kidding me? Like, bruh. And then organs up in here. And then Dukan yeah. and... <laughs> <laughs> Four new kidneys, son. Have, uh... Like, Dukan took off, which is, like, such a wonderful gift in our lives. Yeah. Um, moving forward. Uh, and Reem, yeah. for you, like, what... Man, what a, it's what an amazing year it's been. It's been a year... Well, I, I lost a few people close to me. I lost, um, you know, um, my... I guess my grandmother-in-law, if you will. Omar's grandmother. Oh, yeah. We lost her this year. Um, but yeah, may she rest in peace. And when she passed away, like a whole library burned to the ground. You know right. what I mean? Um, of wisdom and of, of of knowledge and of love. That's a powerful way of saying it. Yeah. Like For me, it's like. Um, so what happens is when you start making choices, right? And then remember, look, one of our first episodes was about choices. And yeah. So the thing is to add on to that is that you got to make ch- choices for your own joy. Right, mm-hmm. so like, when you step into a house, the way you ch- you choose to decorate it is for your own joy. Similarly, if I'm making music, I need to make music from a place of joy, mm-hmm. right? Before you start putting your art out there for people to receive, because that's for applause and validation. But if you if you're taking care of your own personal joy, everything else is just cherry on the freaking icing on the cake type of thing. You know what I'm trying to say? Yeah, totally. So. It's that's the thing I'm leaving 2016 with going into 2017 because when I go to Sri Lanka, I'm gonna be ch- maybe ch- probably there I'll be challenged to like yo what are you doing get this get a job settle down buy a house type of sh- like all this burden, but I have to put put push that back and say no I'm gonna work where where I get joy I'm gonna do the hobbies that give me joy I'm gonna live a life of joy, and that's a learning I've come from like observing my dad. Everybody that's listening to this right now, they get the message. Yeah. You know, no matter what, no matter what stage you are in your life right now, you know, just take a second and try to learn as much as you can from him. Yeah, that bravery and that college bravery. Until I realized, I got slapped on my face because I was jobless for about three months. Wow. Yeah. 
and then after that, I, desi- I decided to join the family business. Oh, really? Yeah. As like. Uh, so what's the family business? So we we are like a retail company in Sharjah. Okay. Working for the Sharjah government, okay. established in uh, 1990. It's a family business. My dad started up. Allah uh, and it's been uh, it's been the, our source of income. He's like, listen to me. If you're gonna be messing around and whatnot, go find yourself another job. I respect I that. Yeah, because mm. it's like, like, don't come here and mess around. Yeah, yeah. He's like, yo, I don't need that. This is the family I don't need business. You. Yeah. He was like, basically, I don't need you. Yeah. <laughs> so don't come here talking about, let me help you out. I don't need your help. He's yeah. like, you're gonna mess around, you leave. Find yeah. yourself another job. I was like, no, let's do this. The the past three years, I spent it with my dad. I I woke up as soon as I woke up, I was with him. When I went to sleep, he was the last person I've seen. That's so lovely. For, yeah. for like two and a half years. Yeah. Like, put put the family things aside and family feuds aside and everything. Okay? Your dad, as a person, he came here. My dad came here in what? Uh, 1978. Wow. Yeah. He was doing 18 hours a day for yeah. like years. Yeah. To build what we, what we are living yeah, off yeah. today, yeah. yeah. You know? See, that's inheritance, isn't and, it? Yeah. That's legacy. And the way exactly. he and the way he started, it was like, it was like, basically, it's us now. You know, he believed in something and he just paid full attention to it, day and night. You know, basically, yeah, what we are doing it. now. You know. So imagine this person is actually your dad. Mm-hmm. How how you become an assistant to your dad? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you would know his his personality. You would know his the way he thinks like yeah. um and I think in uh, this this period of time this is me sitting here talking about me 2016 I lost my father Allah you know I'm sorry to hear that Allah this is God's will yeah. you know but instead of me sitting here and telling you oh, you know this is a great loss I'm actually I find myself really blessed I am blessed, alhamdulillah, alhamdulillah. It's God's will, okay? And lots of people have been surprised about me talking this way, you know, about me losing, you know, my dad. He was my father. Especially, I think, because you got closer to him in the past yeah. couple of years. I'll tell you, I'll tell you, Omar, this period of time that I got closer to him, you'd experience things, you'd, you'd, you'd be amazed at the things you'd experience and the things you'd learn. And on top of that, you, like, the more you, the more you attach yourself to him, you see the world from his eyes, from yeah. the way he thinks. So you get another another point of view of the world. Of like he, like I'd be focused on, you know what, pops? Let me do this. Yeah, I have an idea. Let's do this. Um, let's market some products to uh, Sharjah Airport. Let's say. Mm-hmm. All right. And I was like, you know what? I'm gonna do that. And he tell me, yeah, okay, go ahead, do it. But uh, just do it. You know, he'd he'd be like that. That was his attitude. Just relax. He'd never he'd never tell me, No, don't do this, you have to watch out and oh, No, okay. he'd let me he let me do and he'd let me do the job and then learn from it. And then I'd go back and tell him, Oh my god, why don't you tell me this this would happen? Why don't you tell me this would happen? You know? Things yeah. like that. Yeah. I mean I'll give examples, I have lots of examples, but to find my Yeah, but they're yeah. business deals, I get it. It's yeah. A bit confidential. You get it? Yeah. yeah. But, it, that was his attitude with me. So it's about letting you take the step and tripping and learning and from it. And tripping and learning from it, yeah. And he'd just mm-hmm. watch me, you know? You get it? Okay. And then until until later on, when, when خلاص, and I'm, I'm, you know, I'm doing this, you know, I'm, 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 I'm getting... First of all, I think there are stages to, to knowing your dad. There are stages. There's yeah. the father. I this agree. is your father, man. Yeah. His attitude towards you will always be your father. Yeah. You know? He'd order, he'd order you around, do this, do that. He'd cuss you out. Is, uh, you get it? He'd cuss you out, you know? This is the father. This will always be there. Yeah. Unless you you find your way towards him, treating you as, as you know, you'd make him forget that father figure. He has to forget that. Yeah. Like, um, like you need to get him to a point where he doesn't. I mean, you're always going to be his son to him. Yeah. But you need to get him to a point where he sees you as a colleague. Yeah. 
right? Or as a confidant, or as a friend. And as a friend. As a friend. Not just a son anymore. Yeah, as a friend. And, I, and to be honest, I didn't even think about, okay, you know what? I'm going to dedicate my life to It wasn't like that. No, you but just kind of surrendered to it. I just, I just went, went with it, went mm-hmm. with the flow. And it was the best thing that happened to me in my life. I really? think this was the highlight of my life. Really? To be honest That's with you. That's amazing. So... I never thought I'd go through this. Of course. And it's, as soon as it happened, as soon as I realized that, oh my God, my dad passed away. Because we didn't even realize. We were just praying and crying until the doctors came and told us, guys, he's gone. Mm. He's gone. Yeah. You know, it was like that. What did you feel when you heard he's gone? That second, that second, I was like, man, I don't want anybody to, to pass his condolences to me on my dad. I don't even want to do it. I don't even want to go through that. Was it like Is denial? It was like for like 10 minutes. Oh, okay. It was like, I didn't want to see anybody in the world. I just thought of traveling somewhere, going somewhere far, far not far knowing away. anybody. Yeah, mm-hmm. I and did just, that. And just living off my life until until something happens. Until you know. the pain goes away. so thankful to the Kansho giving us this opportunity to spread our idea and we encourage every single uh, lady to be empowered and uh, attend our workshop. Um, and attend the workshop, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Attend the workshop and, and, you know, if you're around the age 18 or 25, I think women should join E7, Promise of a Generation. And I, uh, I heard about an um, initiative called uh, Be- the Daughters of Emirates. They, they gather uh, different girls from different emirates around the UAE, and they put them in a campaign where they have to select a subject and uh, bring up some ideas which serve the community of UAE. And uh, I thought uh, this is the chance where I can get, give back to UAE. And I met uh, Rehab in the campaign along with Noura, uh, our uh, partner, but she is not here today. Uh, I've been passionate about em- women empowerment since when I was a uh, teen. Uh, I'm passionate also about cars. I love the complicity of the cars. Really? Yeah. That is interesting. <laughs> I love cars. I admire cars. Where does your love for cars come I was about from? To ask that. Because I don't know the first. <laughs> <laughs> I'm telling you now, I don't know the first thing about cars. I love complicity. Yeah. So I wanted to know what is behind the bonnet, mm-hmm. how the car works. Mm. So since when I was uh, so young, uh, I, uh, I I accompany my brothers and our driver to the garages, and I observe the workers, how they uh, fix the tires, how they check uh, different parts of the car. So I was like, wow, this is Yani. It's different than girls' world. Uh, so. I was like, this is my place. I found myself. Really? It's interesting. And and when you were hanging out there, did anybody say you're not supposed to be here? Yes, of course, because I'm a local. And, you know, local girls, they, 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 like... Uh, it's a shame. Don't go to garages. Mm. My brother's like, no, uh, no, just sit in the car. You cannot, uh, like, uh, you cannot join us and stuff. But I ignore them and How I do whatever I want. Sorry. How old were you at the time? Fourteen, fifteen, maybe. Okay. Like. So you're, you're a teenager. You are yeah, yeah. a little kid. Okay. Yeah. So I was doing whatever. I feel like I wanted to do it. Amazing. Amazing. <laughs> yeah. And it's yeah. awesome because that's the age, like, I think the um, the siblings and the parental yeah. pressures. Of, yeah, there's you're pressure. So, you're a young lady. You should not be doing this. I have four this. brothers. Oh, there we and go. And all of them, from the young till the old, they pressure on me, like, yeah. no, uh, with Abai, no, no, you have to sit in the car. You cannot, like, but I, I avoid. Good for you. I, I enjoy my moment there in the garage. Well done. <laughs> that is amazing. And so, and so, uh, your love for cars—you just wanted to know what was under, what was the machine about? Yes, was, that's amazing. The machine. I love speed. I know it's dangerous, <laughs> but I love speed. She's of a different breed. Uh, yeah, yeah. She is. I just love cars. 
I cannot explain my love to the cars. To uh, cars. Contrary to Chelsea, uh, I never had. I'm not passionate about cars, to be honest. But I am passionate about solving the problem. So after, so I was sitting in Malaysia, and when I came back. Uh, my family passed down my sister's car to me, okay. and it broke down frequently. Uh, and I, I wouldn't know what to do. I would always depend on my brother. I'd always have to call my brother. And it was summer, and it was so hot. For, it would take at least an hour or 45 minutes for my brother to reach. And when he came to garages, I wasn't allowed. Like, suddenly, okay, you're not allowed to go there. This is a male-dominant area. Yeah. 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 Um, and and if, if I do go, and it would be like, okay, they will speak jargons and talk to me like I'm very stupid. <laughs> and, and you don't want that feeling. Yes, you know? exactly. So it's funny because even though you're empowered as a woman, you feel like, I just don't want to deal with this. Yes. I don't want to have to deal with being, like, feeling like I'm dumb. Why not? No, sorry, not not the feeling like you're dumb. I, but I, I mean, can tell why you do you not want to deal with, I don't know, the jargons or the mechanics or talking to the mecha- um, the mechanics at the at the car shops at the garages or like getting into the details of it we actually you know that's when we actually researched that we we talked to women we talked you know so many women to understand what's really going on oh, cool. you know we drive every day we've got yeah. licenses but we don't understand anything about cars and then we, we noticed that there's a gap so it's the interest gap women yeah. don't want to know yeah, we and wanted to know why don't they want to know when they're driving so because the car industry the auto industry is a very male dominant industry um, we're basically cars are made by men for men yes. so it's a very um, the language spoken is very manly mm-hmm. um, and we wanted to kind of change that, the, change the culture change uh, why, you know, what's really happening. So it's like a closed loop be- exactly. between men, okay. Yeah, so um, um, the first thing is to create interest yeah. the second thing is the knowledge part what we're currently doing is the knowledge. Great. Yeah, um, and, and hopefully in the future it's the cultural part and we're breaking down norms you know, Um why shouldn't a woman go to a garage? The reason why most of us don't want to go is because it's dirty. That's first. Uh, we don't know what's going on, and yeah. we get ripped off. Yeah, yeah. Uh, th- those are those are my three reasons. Yeah, <laughs> those are my. They, they, it's like yeah, it's, we're like the same person. So we met uh, during the campaign, mm-hmm. and we proposed our idea um, during the days of um, the campaign. How long is this? Sorry, how long is this campaign? Four days. So, it's a, it's a, it's a, so it was a three-day forum. Okay. It's a one-year journey, actually. Okay. So yeah. it starts with the three-year, uh, three-day forum, um, and that's we were in a hotel, and that's how we got together. Yeah. And so it's all Emirati women. No, that, no, no, different nationalities. No. Different which nationalities. One is this? this is E7, Promise of that's the Generation. That's the E7. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And so women of all different. So just to kind of give E7, kind <coughs> yeah, of, because I, I, I want to know a little more yeah. about it. I'm, my understanding is that it's a women. It's a. It's for. It's an initiative for female empowerment exactly. in the UAE, yeah. and women from all countries come together to brainstorm ideas about how to empower women in the UAE. Is that correct? Uh, not only women empowerment. They have different. Uh, topics like uh, UE heritage and culture, uh-huh. they have uh, environment, they have uh, education, yeah. different topics. So they focus fantastic. on women um, from age 18 to 25. Mm-hmm. Um, they put them together, you know, brainstorm, um, teach them design think- thinking, and uh, or come up with ideas on how to serve the community. Amazing. Yeah. Nice. yeah. Nora, uh, yeah. yeah Nora, Nora okay. she's passionate about community, and like, she's a she has that passion of to be a change maker. Yeah. So nice. yeah, and I have passion for cars, and of course I want to be a change maker in the community. And Rehab, she raised her issue about the cars, so we thought let's create a group. Actually, we were five, mm-hmm. but two of the our team members they withdrew for some personal reasons. Mm-hmm. So we came up with the uh, the idea of Motari. We called it Motari because we wanted to relate uh, the the concept, the idea, to the lady. Okay. Motari is like my car in a very uh, UAE local language. Yeah. We call it Motar. Yeah. yeah. You know, like Motar. So we thought Motari. Which is my car. Something yeah. I own it. Yeah. And it, this is my property. So Motari came up. We did a survey among more than 200 ladies to to identify what is the real gaps yeah. yeah I mean, mm. What we are trying to solve here, so we identify three gaps, which is woman interest, mm-hmm. uh, as uh, Rehab mentioned, knowledge, and uh, society uh, perception. Yeah, 
tell yeah. society's perception of women, you know, going to garages or absolutely. I mean, one of the things. Um, so I remember when I was 18, um, I was so excited about driving and stuff like that. <laughs> and I, uh, my mom is the kind of person that's very, very empowered, but um, she's, she's, you know, she's not very educated, but she's been to places where men are not. Yeah. So she's done things that men cannot do. Sorry. But, um, no, no, tell so, I want to hear Yeah, that. so, um, it, it, you know, she was one of the first people, first women in my family to start driving. Amazing. When it wasn't allowed. Um, so I remember wanting to go to a garage uh, with, and my brother saying, no, no, no. So my mother was arguing with my brother to Same. allow me to go to a garage. Uh, and in the end, he, I did, but he was really, really angry. He was upset about yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Be- and I'm sure because he felt... He felt disempowered by you going, yeah. which is so interesting. Yeah. You know, um, so what, your mom seems to be um, a, a pave. She paves the way. Yes. She paves the way for you. Yeah. That's amazing. We proposed our idea to to different uh, automobile companies. Uh, one of them is Audi and Nabuda. Yeah. Mm. They welcomed us and they said, "Okay, we are your partners." But what's been um, what's been really great about this is um, this is the first time I've really spoken in depth about a lot of these things and how everything is so connected. You know, when you chart it all out and plot it all out, it's like everything is connected. Hey, this is Dan Greenpeace right here with Reem and OT on the Decan Show every Tuesday on all good podcasters. That was it. Because yeah, it's just people are so hungry and, and, and the creativity. See, hip-hop is still growing, you know. Yeah. Now it's kind of gone in all sorts of directions, but um, hip-hop was still evolving. There was there was eras and styles and, 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 and sub-genres that hadn't been done before. Now kind of everything's been done. Anything you hear now has been done at some has, point. Has you been know, affected or has been... It's in, been influenced, yeah. yeah. Where everything yeah. then was new, 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 new. For like 20 years, it was like everything was new. Every era, every phase, exciting. every record. Yeah. Super exciting to be part of that. You know, we saw everything from, you know, like say, come up to the Sugar Hill Gang to like Run DMC to Eric Bean Rakim to like the Tripod Quest, you know, whatever. Pete Rock and Seal Smooth and to Notorious B.I.G. then to, you know, you name it, we saw it. And everything was new. Everything was different. Everything, nothing, everything had... It hadn't been done before. Yeah. Breaking the ground. It was experimental fresh. at the time. Huh? Everything's experimental. Like yeah, yeah, yeah. No, totally. Yeah. Just totally. trial and test like different sounds, and everybody wanted to do something exactly, new. Yeah, yeah. So basically, yeah, I, I, you know, I was really into this kind of, this kind of sub subgenre of like independent, like you know, music that's coming out, and um, and so I wrote this column, Independence Day, and would just write about this kind of these weird little kind of one-off releases I mean I remember some of them went on to be really big bands like Jurassic 5 oh wow like Jurassic 5 they they pressed they were called Unified Revolution I think Unified Revolution or Revolu- Revolution mm. they pressed like you know 500 copies I remember it was on a yellow label no one had heard of them and then Mr Bongo is a very famous record store in London got hold of maybe 50 copies and then said hey guys this has literally flown out of the door it's amazing we love it it's kind of got that old school aesthetic and people yeah. love it would you be willing to repress 500 just for our store so they repressed that record on blue vinyl blue label literally just for as a store as exclusive a store for Mr Bongo yeah. and then bang they flew out another 500 or 1000 and, and it was a, it was a very exciting time. So I'd write about all that kind of stuff and all the stuff that was going on. And, and wow. Those kind of, and then eventually the Source magazine actually started a, a column called Independence Day. Oh. You know, d- most definitely after mine, you know, so... Um, so they just yes. went ahead. Yeah, they yeah. didn't yeah. call with a new title. They didn't yeah, yeah. bother. Yeah. That's right. Oh, no one reads that little magazine <laughs> in, in the yeah, UK. Yeah, exactly. We're like, we'll call it anyway. Yeah, yeah. They won't they notice, just, maybe. They literally <laughs> just took your name. That's ridiculous. Just to, so that, that's how I got into journalism. It was like a natural progression to radio. Talking yeah. about music and everything, and I'm kind kind of getting put on. I got an in through Andrew uh, and started to write, and I, we wrote for them for many years. And um, you know, he used to write pretty much, you know, two thirds of the magazine. I would write maybe like the odd column and a few bits and pieces. But then I started to write features. So how many were you? It was you and Andrew. There was there was probably about you know fifteen twenty contributors, but okay. there was like three or four absolute staples like, you know yeah, and then there's editors actually there's probably like 10 people that regularly contributed I was certainly one of the regular contributors um, and then you know we at that time as I say you know it was you know TVT records uh, everything from TVT to Raucous you know there was there was money in it you know because it was before the digital era there was you know physical 
people buying CDs and records. Telling like Rockus would sell, you know, most deaf Universal Magnetic or something. I don't know how many. It wouldn't be it wouldn't be outrageous to say that, you know, they probably sold fifty thousand copies of that twelve inch alone. You know, mm-hmm. you can't even sell you can't get even get fifty thousand streams these days. Some artists, you know, these these guys were they were shifting massive units. Yeah, there was a lot of money coming in. It was a global phenomenon. Mm-hmm. The distribution network was was strong. There would be fat beats in New York. There'd be fat beats in Amsterdam. There'd yeah. be stores in Japan that would buy five thousand copies of one record just to have that one exclusive. It was thriving, you know, before the digital era, you know, and um, it was an incredibly exciting time, and and we kind of captured that entire moment. Uh, the main thing we really captured, and 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 um, what's the word, um, kind of, what, what became ambassadors of, were like raucous records. Yeah. You know, so raucous, like most of Quali, yeah. R.A. the Rugged Man, Company Flow, you know, all the artists in raucous. We were there at that time. I would, I would, we would even go to New York. They would pay for our flights. Why we were there, they'd be like, "Hey, we're really overstretched. Would you write? Would you mind? Would you guys mind writing a press release for us?" You know. Yeah. So we'd be sitting in our offices um, writing press releases for the label, and we were wow. kind of we were really immersed in that whole thing. In the know? whole yeah. thing, yeah. You know, um, you know, we'd be we'd be in there. There'd be like artists coming in and out of the office. Um, you know, you'd be just in there, and then Talib Kweli would walk in or whatever, or. We'd be in there with Jarrett and Brian, who were the owners of the label, and kind of in their office, just seeing how that we would right that environment. There, you were that in moment, that space. Yeah. You know, we'd get really high. <laughs> um, on, on in, in in the kind of on the balcony out there. It was happy, really happy, really, 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 yeah. really happy. We had some really happy. <laughs> there was moments where I was so happy, and then we'd be in a conference room interviewing. Um, I'm interviewing LP from Company Flow, who now is definitely was now is um, Run the Jewels. Yeah, yeah. Beast. Damn. Beast. I was so happy. <laughs> I couldn't even talk to the guy. You know, I, was like, <laughs> I couldn't even get my words out. And he just thought I was a, you know, he, he put it like, who is this guy, this journalist from the UK, wasting my time. I just couldn't <laughs> even string a sentence together. It was that kind of vibe. Yeah. It was like, it was a moment, you know. But and I it, think I think that's part of, I. sorry, I don't mean to interrupt. No, but, no, no. Um, no. I was just saying, like, when that, that was, like, that was, you know the era, the, the culture's version of rock and roll. It, it was yeah. exactly, it's exactly what I was just about to say. It was rock and roll. Yeah. But if I stage me crossing the street and I have somebody hit me by a car, get, you know, hit hit me with a car, and I'm on the street bleeding, and I tell my man to go get me a drum machine, and I do a beat before the ambulance comes and it get it get 30 it gets 30 million views does that make me nice yo so finesse in the building yep. oh, yes man. finesse in the building from the world renowned world famous DITC digging in the crates one of the most influential producers and artists of our time Lord Finesse Yo, check it out. It's the underboss, the law of finesse. And you tuned into the Ducan show where OT, Reem, and Lobito. That's why I look at, you know, and I was talking to Lobito the, uh, yesterday, you know, that I'm, I am writing a, a curriculum right now. Really? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because I do have a lot to contribute. You do. And um, I just want to show a lot of artists that. Even if you don't go gold or platinum, there's levels to get money, good money. Yeah. You know, people's like, you know, success a bus. You know, like I, I gotta be the platinum superstar, and it's, it just depends on what you're getting into this for. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and like we was just talking in the cab. You know, some people, a lot of people, majority of people live their life for other people approval. I agree. That's true. You know, yeah. so. It's like when you buy a whip, do you say, damn, I wanted this shit since I was a kid. Or, yo, when I pull up and stun on these niggas, son, <laughs> this shit gonna be crazy. Watch what I do to these niggas. Great. You know, what are you doing it for? And What's the end yeah. game? It's the same thing with music. Yeah. Are you doing it because you really love it? You got something to contribute? Yeah. Well, yo, man, if that nigga could do it, shit, I know I could do it. Yeah. It's like, what are you doing it for? And a lot of people don't really know what they're doing it for. And it took me a while to reflect on my career. 
not what I was doing it for. I, I, I really didn't understand myself. Okay. You know, when I say I didn't understand myself is because I was doing what I love to do, rhyming, producing, but didn't understand other things like when it was time to shoot a video and the lights and cameras was on, mm. I couldn't perform right. Why not? You know, because the, the the director would say, action, I need you to look hard. I need you to do this. And, <laughs> yeah. yeah. And to me, that wasn't naturally me. Yeah. You know, I'm like, you know, so you I were love playing... the music. I love the props I get for the music, but a part of me wasn't there for the stardom. Yeah. Uh, wait, so how did you get into the music? I know that, like, is there... I got into the music because it was a cultural thing. Yeah. It was something that didn't require money. Okay. If you had the lyrical skill set, if if it was a breakdancing, graffiti, yeah. if you had any of them skill sets, you could fit in. It was cultural. Yeah. This was before the records really was billion dollar yeah. business. It was cultural. So that's why I got into it. I ain't get into it where, okay, I need two bodyguards and, you know, set up the VIP and... That's not what I got into it for. Mm. You know, I got into it for more of what I can contribute and be considered great in what I do from that standpoint. So when the videos and certain things took place, it was like, it was awkward because we could be on a street corner and the video was rolling and it just didn't feel natural. And I felt tense. I couldn't perform at the the... Because to me, it's natural. When I get on the stage, it's, it's natural. It's just you. you. It's natural when somebody's telling you to act. Act hard. And you don't normally act just act. <laughs> you know, you might be a lay, cool, laid back. Like, you got to get a director that, that understands. understands you. Absolutely. So you're going to create an environment and a video based on you as that person. Yeah. So, that's, so you feel comfortable. That's part of building your brand, though. Like, I think that's part of, like... Figuring out the team that will honor who you are authentically, right. but you got to know you first yeah, before you, you can really find the right team, you. right? And that's the problem when a lot of artists get in the game; they're not trying to be them. Yeah, they're trying to be whatever's going to get me a check. That's what I'm trying to be. Yeah, because yeah, you know, that's that's what's hot. All right, I'm gonna do that. But I always say my 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 main question to artists, and it could go to anybody listening. Mm. If somebody comes to you for what you do, what can you give them that nobody else can give them? What can you give them that's so unique that nobody else can give them? Yeah. Right. Because they're coming for something from you. Yeah. You know, the, the, the minute you say, I could do what this person do, you're already accepting being number two. Game over. That's you're right. never going to be that's number right. one. Game yeah. over. You know, that's that's just what it is. So people gotta learn how to embrace themselves, you know. Mm-hmm. When I'm when I'm on my Instagram, you know, I'm always putting a lot of quotes because I want something that's gonna make you think. I want something that's gonna make you feel empowered. I want something that's gonna make you feel it's enough negative mm-hmm. out there. That's true. I don't wanna put shit on my page. Yeah. And if you say something negative on my page, I'm just going to block you. You ain't going to get no attention. <laughs> yeah, but so, I don't think you should feed it. I yeah. agree. Like, you, you, you know don't, You don't how feed that are. monster, yeah. Yeah, so if you you're, you're a motherfucking troll with 10 followers, you're not getting no attention here. Yeah. So if you say something silly, you're just going to get blocked, and I'm going to move on. You know, so that's what it's about with me. It's like when you get to a certain level or a certain age, you know, you want to... You want to put your experience out there so people don't hit the same potholes you hit. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you know, before when we was growing up, like, F- it, I got jerked. When he get jerked, he'll understand. And it's like, like, damn, that's fucked up. But how up. does that that's help anyone? Yeah. You know, so with me, I'll, I'll tell you, I had a lot of potholes. Yeah. yeah. You know, and I'm just happy the car's still running. <laughs> you know, that's, that's, that's like, a true story. It's I'm true. Iron cast. Yeah. These fiberglass cars, y'all hit a bump. It's fucking rap. You're done. <laughs> My name is Fatima Al-Banawi and I've been in Dubai for four days. I'm so happy that this is bringing this closure to my trip. 
but it's definitely a new beginning with the Dukan show and with the baby. And so I'm collecting stories from people. I'm not necessarily writing them myself. Uh, I'm inviting people to a platform, to a storytelling platform, where they can unfold intimate and vulnerable parts of their tales and narratives, um, often also forgotten, mm -hmm. like pencils, yeah. maybe fading. And... Um, they have a single A4 page to write that. So I know it's challenging, but it's also anonymous, so yeah. they can really bring any part of themselves, even if they're shy. Um, and those parts, you know, they're, I'm inviting them to write that and to share it because there is, um, in storytelling, there is this component of bringing closure yes. to certain experiences, you know. Just by writing, you can kind of have this, um, really, a sense of closure. To or catharsis. Yeah, and yeah. It, it it's on its own uh, growing, like, allows for growth and, and reflection. And also, when I read those stories, or when the public reads those stories, there's also another sense of growth and um, sharing and, and relating and... Um, Hence, uh, psychosocial growth in a way, you know, mm. um, and it's all uh, happening through A4 pages of multiple people and mm. hundreds of people, basically. Uh, I'm working on a book that would showcase these stories as they are handwritten, and also um, at the same time I produce and direct and write scripts that are stemming directly from these stories, so they're very. Those scripts are basically a work of... It's a process of weaving in a selection of these stories to create a fictional character that this performance, um, you know, tells the story of. And so although this character is fictional, created by myself yeah. here, all the bits and pieces that this character goes through, his or her life, um, are real. And they're ours, and I didn't write any of them. They're they're definitely written by the audience. So that's we're not performing your story. You're part of it, and that's why like the setup is also made to include the audience and make them part of the performance, and not only a viewer. Yeah. So they're very the proximity between the performer and the and the viewer is extremely close. Mm -hmm eye contact is maintained and um, from the last performance uh, entitled I Am You um, a lot of people ended up like crying or you know there was a sense of coming together that was so beautiful coming together with yourself but also coming together well. collectively yeah. Yeah. and it was so beautiful to witness that <laughs> So it's been a really interesting journey because I didn't actually know what I thought I would find when I began this journey to try to identify what the new tribes were. And I actually thought I would zero out in a place where Arabs are completely lost and we've lost our identity and we're unable to define who we are. But what I instead found was something very powerful. I found, you know, a 24-year-old minister. I found, you know, Saudi women who are directing films and breaking the patriarchy. We find third culture kids, you know, celebrating and creating interesting new creative movements. So if I leave you with one word today, I'd like it to be the same word that I always leave you with, and that word is hope. The group vice president, brand marketing and loyalty from the Jumeirah group, Yusuf Tukan. Good afternoon, everyone. I really want to talk a little bit as well about the UAE where I'm from because I think the UAE has become the kind of the magnet that's attracted the most in terms of these new tribes of Arabia where we're into, there are over 200 nationalities now represented in the UAE and when I grew up as a child as a Palestinian and a, as a Lebanese we grew up in Kuwait because Kuwait was a land of opportunity economically 30 or 40 years ago. Today that land is the UAE and very specifically Dubai. 
And it's attracting a whole new generation of young people today who belong nowhere and in a sense belong everywhere because we're kind of creating our own tribes and building our own kind of communities around ourselves. And one of the things that are probably most emblematic of this is a podcast called The Dukan Show. Omar is, um, is Sudani but was born and raised in the UAE and his partner Reem is half Filipino, half Iraqi and grew up in Canada. So very emblematic of these third culture kids where the concept of the Dukan is the, the corner shop or the tuck shop and that's where all the kids used to go play. No matter who you were, that's where you wound up every day. And they're trying to build a similar platform today with their podcast. What up, tribe? Chilling at the Dukan show right now with your man Big Two. World famous beat nuts in the house, baby. Yo, this is your brother Yasin, also known as Narcy. You tuned into the Dukan Show. What's going on, everybody? It's your man Odyssey, and you are now in tune to Dukan. This is Fed Libertari. I'm so glad to be on Dukan. Really engaging personal experiences and personal interviews. Welcome to your tribe. So it's become quite emblematic because it's actually become a celebration of being a third culture kid, a celebration of being somewhere where, you, where everybody belongs and nobody belongs. And if you see some of the artists that they talk to, it's people like Narsi, you know, he's an Iraqi Canadian, um, you know, journalist and hip hop actor. Um, it's people like Sheb Moha, who's a photographer, a director, he's got a fashion label, and there's a lot of really interesting cultural things coming out of this with these people who belong nowhere and are kind of unshackled from having to belong to a tribe, and they're able to express themselves in interesting ways. What are you doing? We're supposed to be recording. Nobody can see your face in a filter. Other thing, if you want to make it whatever it is, um, the media and it's a system that we're in as well says, well, you do anything by hook, by crook, by yeah. whatever. There's a cat's thing couch, and if you know it, you you might you might have to lie down in it sometimes. Yeah, like they say that to the women in this in in, in the in the industry, not in Dubai because we actually don't have that kind of an industry no, here. No. But it certainly was that way when we were in Canada. And uh, I experienced like a lot of that firsthand. And just like Adam, because I had a job, because I was doing this for fun, I could actually just say, no, I'm not sleeping with you. I don't need to, mm. you know. Um, but many women did because they needed to. They wanted to make it, whatever make it was, you know. And I find that very, um, uh, it, it's challenging to try and to try and uh, comprehend all of that and, 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 and make sense of it, right? Because yeah. we're a part of that. That's the problem. Because we are, it's a lot of responsibility on us to kind of put a put a line to it, put an end to these things, even in day-to-day practice of yeah. what we do. Yeah. Um, and this was something I struggled with in advertising, which is not the same caliber, nor is it the same example as, like, a casting couch. But, like, in advertising, it's always a matter of they take... They try to fake the funk, right? Yeah. And then you got to be a gatekeeper where you're like, no, it's not No, this it's is done. fake. Got, but... It's always challenging. Like, I'm in, I remember in my old job where I was, I'm one person within 200 people that are saying, this is wrong. Yeah. And it needs to be done this way. You can't get some little kid and have a copywriter who's never written music before write song, rap lyrics for this ad. Yeah. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. I'm constantly fighting that battle, right? But even we fail, like, with some stuff we've put out recently. In the process, we were just constantly, like you saw the battle. We were battling it, and then finally we caved bec- or else we wouldn't get paid. And in that situation, yeah. we needed, we were in so deep. But this we is needed why now to, it's you like, know. This is why everything I've been putting so much effort in that is not necessarily revenue generating or as a source of income. I'm putting so much effort in as proof of concept. Yeah, of course. Because now I could walk in and be like, we did we this did and this. it worked. Exactly. It doesn't have to be this way. Like, I had to be a gatekeeper back then. The difference now is I have my own company. Yeah. So I could be like, this is how we're going to do it. Yeah. And I can dictate the law now. That agency is really, it. when I say agency, I don't mean agency. I mean yeah. like the, the right to do things your yeah. way or your capacity to do things your way. Um, I think that's really important. Because I think we do have a moral compass that we're constantly calibrating, you know. And um, I think part of it, it's very funny because when I sit and I look back at everything, I look back at the cultures that shape me, the different cultures that shape us, you know. And um, as we kind of move the can into like, you know, uh, we're now at our 89th episode. Like, who are we as the can? And we have to ask each other those questions all the time. 
and I, I, I feel very happy that we do. This is the thing, like, um, when I was at Ken, to go back to that, the CEO of RGA was giving a talk, and he was speaking about how 20 years ago, they used to recalibrate the direction of the ship every four to seven years. Yeah. He's like, now we're doing it every six months. And and this is what I'm saying. Every And I, I say that every quarter you calibrate what yourself. You're doing. You have to question why you're doing it. Yeah. And you have to kind of, you got to check yourself every time. Yeah. Right? And you got to make sure you're headed the right direction because even that right direction shifts. Absolutely. Because, you know? and that's something that, you know, uh, in in culture and in music and in, in, in art and in life and in business especially, um, asking who are we and shifting who we are to be honest to the truth of yourself in that moment is yeah. important, but also knowing where that moment fits in the larger strategy. So I'm really glad that you made a five-year strategy for us, a 10-year strategy for us that we look at loosely. Mm. You know, that's the general, we're going east. We're not going to like zero zero point one whatever we're going east you know yeah. at least i know that wherever that takes yeah. us it takes us how we, we get there off it. yeah are we still going east is east exactly. where we want to go you know those are the questions yeah. that you have to ask yourself i think every day and um as the business grows as we grow as you know i think i become more contemplative now the more younger people get in our arena yeah the more responsible i feel um to empower them and I'm like, well, how, how do we empower them? Yeah. Well, who am I to give them something? Anything. Yeah. The truth is, is that if we're living ourselves completely, I feel like that's there's the example. Only, there's right? going to be something, right? Yeah. And I'm, I'm not sure yet. Um, I'm not sure yet where it all goes, you know, but I feel like kids like Adam give me hope. You know, this way, gorilla kids, they give me hope, you know. I, I think what's really cool about an immigrant is you always feel like an outsider. And I actually, I mean, look what's going on here. Like, like for the things that I put out to the world, I'm an outsider to the Cannes Lion Festival. But I prefer to be an outcast because what, when you're an outcast, you're looking at it differently. Hey guys, it's Gary Vee and you're with OT and the Duquesne. So, this is what I find interesting that because you're from Belarus yeah. and you moved to the States. So technically you're a third culture kid. And what I love is that with our platform, it actually started as the space that accepts third culture kids love because it. living in Dubai sure. it's a mosaic the locals are like 10% or less yes that's right? right so most of us are not from there but you know we somehow Got found there. a home there yeah. and question is that did, did you find struggles in your upbringing in the states as the kid from Belarus yeah I mean I also picked a funny time to do it which was you know now obviously the US fights with a lot of the Middle East and things of that nature, but Russia was the superpower that, like, my friends literally thought I was a spy, like, for real, like, made those jokes and, you know, yeah. you know, I was an outsider, um, like, got forced to drink pee-pee out of, like, a Pepsi cup, like, some, some yeah, 19, like kid you know, pranks. Yeah, kid yeah, yeah. pranks that were, like, not fun. Yeah. Um, yes and no. I don't want to paint the, I would say the first 24, 36, I would say the first two, three years weren't the greatest. But by the time I was in first grade, second grade, I was kind of getting acclimated to the U.S. culture, fell in love with American football. So I, I think what's really cool about an immigrant is you always feel like an outsider. Yeah. And I actually, I mean, look what's going on here. Like, like for the things that I put out to the world, I'm an outsider to the Cannes Lion Festival. Like, I'm just that guy that... Um, is attracted to amazing amazing platforms, whether that's the United States, whether that's advertising, whether that's the wine world, whether that's the sports world. I'm fascinated by those places, but I prefer to be an outcast because what, when you're an outcast, you're looking at it differently. Yeah. Um, and I think the big advantage immigrants have is, especially in, uh, in a lot of these countries, is they outwork the natives. Right. They're hungry. So when did you realize that? Like, when were you comfortable enough with being the other and realized how hungry you are and you're willing to work twice as hard? Uh, probably sixth grade. Sixth grade, I started realizing why do I think it's fun to do lemonade stands and garage sales and wash cars. Oh, and so you had that like early on? Very early. Okay. I was a bad student, mm -hmm. which was probably my beginning of being okay with it. Yeah. I was an entrepreneur. I was a hustler. And it worked in my favor. And so um, probably around sixth, seventh grade, um, I also didn't get to do anything as a kid starting after seventh grade. From eighth grade on, I worked in my dad's liquor store on every weekend and every vacation, summer vacay, regular vacay. And so 
I've, uh, I've, uh, thank you, thank you. Uh, I've, uh, I've, um, I realized somewhere around 12 to 14 that I was a different breed. Nice. Okay, so I think that's, that's a cool statement. Realizing that you're a different breed says a lot. And, and you know what happens is, as, and then what happens is you start having success, it compounds. Like, like everybody wants to be different and be them true selves if they can pull it off. Yeah. Like, like the tough part is, can you pull it off? And some people are different in ways that don't allow them to pull it off. One of the great things about being an innovative, creative entrepreneur is you can be self-contained. Like, you know, I'm about to be in this room with a bunch of you, so many people listening now. Everybody wants to be that artist, but to be an artist and a commerce-driven executor, that's a little bit more of a rare feat. Yeah. But if you ask any artist, they'd all love to be able to be in a position where they can do their art and get away with it, yeah. right? Some people are willing to be so deep to it that they starve, others conform. I mean, look, the advertising industry is filled with people that have ambitions to make movies and other art, and where they had to settle in to be able to maybe get that nice car and a fancy house was the advertising industry. Yeah. I'm, uh, I'm very grateful that my salesmanship and business skills gave me the air cover to be a creative, Executor within the business world, and okay. So there's something uh, I, I noticed that you repeat a lot is how that you're a salesman first, then a marketer second, and you know you you constantly trying to drive that through. What was the? Where do you draw the line? Because to, you know the sales and marketing, they can't. There's a gray area in between. Yes, but then salespeople are not usually marketers. Yeah, great. Marketers and, and vice versa. versa. Exactly. So how were you able to kind of, first of all, bring both together and where was the I differentiation? Think, I think when you're an entrepreneur, you have more room to color and be good at both. Hmm. I think you go into a corporation and they put you in one of the two buckets. I've met a lot of salespeople that I think have natural marketing DNA and vice versa. And if you notice, the people that are successful if you stripe away their ability to be political within an organization, they're the marketing person that the salespeople respect or they're the salesperson that the marketing people respect. And I think those are the people that actually have what I have. So I don't think I'm some unicorn. Yeah. I think there's a lot of people who actually have the ability to be good at sales and marketing. I think companies force you to go one route or the other and then thus we don't even realize that capability. And so in, in entrepreneur land, we see it. We see it less in organizations. Interesting, because like when I, first, when I got my first advertising gig I was I mean I was still I was still in university at the time I was just about 19 20 and the first thing my boss at the time told me is that you are a salesman the only difference is you're selling ideas yeah I get it I mean look right. I think there's a lot to be said of that I mean I think we can I think parents are salespeople you know I think teachers are salespeople like like How so? you, well if you define the word as selling of like getting somebody to believe something if you then believe that that's selling versus manipulating yeah. um, whatever adjective you want to throw on it I think we all I mean communicate my man you are literally wearing those glasses on top of your head and I'm wearing this cap yeah. to communicate to sell something exactly. it's crazy like we're, we're like we're Every, everybody's selling. Fa yeah. The fashion industry is completely predicated on our want to communicate. Like, literally, I'm looking at every person in this room right now, like, they all are dressed specifically for that rationale. It's just real. It's just a real way as we communicate. And it, it means something. The nice gentleman over there just looked at me. Yeah. Like, hit, like the, the kicks he's wearing, like, the glasses, like, that is a statement to me. It makes me know he's different than, you know, people of that demo, of that age, of that experience. Like, it's very fascinating how everything comes to that. And so that makes sense to me that a mentor would say that to you because yeah. I, think, I think what that mentor was trying to say to you is like, look, if you get too high up in the clouds on this and aren't practical, you'll never get to make the art that you want to. Yeah. Okay, so, I mean, since people are coming in, we're gonna yeah. try to wrap it up. And yeah. Like, two more questions. Yeah, no worries. Um, so first off, I think what I wanted to know is that if, if you weren't doing this and you could do something different, what would it have been? A psychologist. Why psychologist? I like talking to people. I love HR. I like trying to figure out why people do things. Mm. Um, it's how I think about my creative and my sales, and so, like, I think I would like it. I would like just like the thought of like 15 hours a day, people coming in, laying down on the couch, theoretically, yeah. and talking to me. I feel like I could help. I feel like I'm good at it. I feel like I do it. I feel like a lot of my content is yeah. grounded in it. I can see that. Okay, and the other thing is that if, if you were to give advice, something that you've never said before to oh 
not necessarily up and comers, but even to people just trying to make a change or a shift in their life. And something that maybe will have you step out of maybe even your comfort zone to kind of deliver that point, what would that be? Being selfish is the most selfless act. Because if you can be fully selfish and get yourself to a great place, you will then be forced to give. That's dope. Yeah, I think it's cool. It's a little further down the part of like make yourself happy. I'm like fascinated by my selflessness and selfishness in parallel. I like that. And I'm fascinated by that. Okay, one more because yeah. I, I actually wanted to ask you this in the session, but I'm just going to do it now anyway. Um, your 60 seconds thing on social media that you've been doing where people get to respond within 60 seconds. I was of two minds about it because one is that I actually think it's great because then you get people the opportunity to reach out and you can talk to them and they mm-hmm. talk to you and you talk mm-hmm. to them. But also, I feel like you're trying to experiment with something new in the sense that, for example, to set Instagram notifications so then people know as soon as you have yes. something up. Or yes. like, so you're the knowledge you're gaining or how you're teaching digital and social is that based on strictly first-hand experimentation or you actually see what other people have done as first-hand well? experimentation okay. that's why i feel fresh to people yeah. i consume nobody i create content and consume my audience response to it and stay in my vortex and i like to innovate and hack and i think i'm i'm actually scared to consume others because i think it dilutes me and so i just stay in my little cocoon know why or maybe I, like I don't want to dig deep into it but I've always been an introverted child uh-huh. you know what I mean even in school I was always in the back you know what I mean so that was like a whole different contrast to who I, who I am you know what I mean going on stage and singing and all my sound is just all over the place where do we go for me I was like where I love this oh, really yeah I was like I love this I want it and that was uh, the kickoff. Yeah. My name is Hamza Hussein, and you are listening to the Dukan Show. By using the gun. Yeah. And then I performed for the first time in front of an audience on that show. Mm. And to me, that was like that was it. Was what like, What were you addicted to? to? Like you obviously got, you obviously fell in love, right? Yeah. yeah what did you fall in love with? Well, first of all, I was lucky. That in my first performance, a lot of the people that were watching are people that I know, mm. and they've never seen me perform. So uh, I actually got to see the excitement in their eyes. Okay. So I nice. fell in love with that. Mm. I was like, yes, that's the reaction that I want. You know what I mean? And just hearing my voice and all those speakers to me was just incredible. Mm. Okay. You know what I mean? It was incredible for me. I don't know why, or maybe I, like I don't want to dig deep into it, but I've always been an introverted child. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Even in school, I was always in the back. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So that was like a whole different contrast to who I who I am. You know what I mean? Going on stage and singing and all my sound is just all over the place. I was like, I love this. Really? Yeah. I was like, I love this. I want it. You know? And that was... Uh, that was that like a kickoff. Off. Yeah. And then that's in, I think, March, the 3rd of March, 2008. I like how you got that So, yeah, yeah, yeah. so the 3rd of March 2008 you found yourself as a singer. Yes. Right? You found mm-hmm. this this voice, the voice that yes. we know mm-hmm. now. How did you get like what I'm fascinated about mm-hmm. is that's not very long ago. That's mm-hmm. like 9 years ago. Yeah. So, how I felt like oh, I've been singing since Do you get what I mean? Yeah, like yeah, a yeah. lot of people have been yeah. training since they were kids and have this, mm-hmm. you know, you obviously have a gift of some sort. But the thing is I've been singing at home for as long as I remember because I grew up listening to Michael Jackson and Prince and all of that. That know? was something I was playing at home. Like parents would listen to. Do, you, do your yeah. parents sing? Or elder siblings? Or? Uh, my mother used to always listen to Michael Jackson mm. and uh, Prince. And she had cassettes, you know what I mean? And I used to just play them every day and just listen to yeah, them. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? So that's how it started. And I used to record at home in my computer with like a 10 bucks mic. You know, that's all you need. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. to use the Adobe Audition to to record, and it was it was very interesting. You know, I loved it. It was always me and my cousin. We used mm. to dance when we're out, and then go back home and just record random stuff. You know what I mean? And that's when I started writing as well. Okay. That's when I was like, I used to be a rapper. 
Oh yeah, so you're covering all of it. Yeah. But were you a good rapper or were you like b-boy rapper? B-boy rapper. Okay, so you were pretty. You were okay enough to make it back. Exactly. Enough to make a backup dancer. But I was always looking for the rhyme. You know what I mean? That's the yeah. kind of rapper. Ah. Yeah. It, it didn't even have to make any sense. But that's when I started writing. And that, you know, developed as, mm -hmm. I, as I grew. And then in 2008, I felt like everything that I was doing in the past led to that moment. Okay, I dig that. Exactly. I dig that. So kind of like Usher, but not really. Like, no. Are you going to do like handstand, like mid <laughs> performance? Maybe one day. <laughs> X Factor was the only place where I got to actually do both at the same time. Yeah, yeah. you know, there aren't many forums where you can. That's the that's the thing. Run. Yeah, if this was mm. the Philippines, by the way, you can, any street corner, that's any an you can yeah. go buy. Uh, yeah. yeah, you could go buy a diet mm. coke and do and dance. Exactly. I think like everybody's down. You know, exactly. but when you're here, there needs to be a platform. There needs mm. to be a space and for dancers it. and lights. Yeah. And yeah, all of that. You know what I mean? So I got to experience that on X Factor, and to me, that was an amazing experience. I loved it. So, yeah. when was yeah. X Factor? When were you on X Factor? 2015. So that was two years ago. Yeah. And um, what was it like the moment that you like that moment when you know it all I mean? when you won? Like when they said your name, <laughs> you won the damn thing, the thing you only <laughs> wanted to audition for, yeah, so you could put it exactly. on your portfolio. Just for his Instagram. Follow. He was just he for Instagram. Exactly. He, were, he was. <laughs> he auditioned for the yeah. gram, yeah, right? Yeah. And, uh, do it for the gram. Yeah. It, he did it for the gram, and then so they say your name. Then what? Did you know you were gonna win? No. Stay tuned for the music mix episode dropping in a couple of days. This audio experience is powered by Tuflis. Salam.